Make Walters your spot for the Women's World Cup as Team USA looks to three-peat, located across the street from Nationals Park and open seven days a week. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Swing a blast down the left field line, chasing toward the quarterback as Slater reaches up, can't get it. It's by him, one hop off the fence. Scoring is Garcia, and in its second with a double is Lane Thomas. Nationals five, Giants nothing. Thomas comes through again with a screaming double just out of the reach of the lunging Austin Slater. Now the 3-2 with Thomas running, it's inside. The throw to third is not in time. Lane Thomas has his fourth stolen base on ball four to Jamer Candelario. Been swung on, driven deep to right. Thomas going back into the warning track. A leap, and he makes a backhanded catch. A step from the fence. He's firing back toward first on three hops. And that is in time. A double play, and the inning is over. A spectacular finish to the top of the eighth inning with a terrific running, backhanded leap, and a catch. A step from the fence in right center. And Wilmer Flores was gone. He couldn't get back. Thomas with his ninth outfield assist to end the inning. Now the source of kicks delivers the pitch. Sweet a ground ball to first. Fielded by Smith. Going to the bag unassisted. And bang, zoom, a curly W. And a three-game series sweep are in the books here at Nationals Park. And welcome to Nats Chat for Monday, July 24th. 2023. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Mark Zuckerman is wrapping up a nice vacation, but I am again joined by the brains of the Nat Chat podcast, Tim Shovers, and I am happy to say that the drought is over. The Nationals had not authored a sweep of a series, any series, since August 2021. The Nats had not swept a three-game series since June 2021. But the Nets on Sunday afternoon completed a three-game sweep of the San Francisco Giants at Nationals Park, a 6-1 win. Understand, the Giants came into this weekend tied with the Arizona Diamondbacks atop the National League wildcard standings. The Giants overall are having a good season, but the Nats just ripped the Giants, outscored them over the three games 21-5. This was a dominant three-game sweep of the Giants by the Nats. The Nats now are 41 and 58. What a last four days in Washington, D.C. sports when you take a step back. We, of course, have the football team being sold and the uh, nightmare of the Dan Snyder ownership tenure finally coming to an end. 
And we have the Nats authoring their first three-game sweep since June 2021. And when you combine that with the signing of the first-round pick, Dylan Cruz, in the press conference on Saturday afternoon, I tell you, Tim, this was a great weekend for the Nats. Great weekend all around. Saturday went perfect, right? With the Cruz introduction and great weather and a good crowd on Saturday night and a dominant victory. And it was sort of like, we're not used to that, where everything goes well in Nats land. And then on Sunday, another really impressive victory. Lane Thomas absolutely, you know, stole the show. And uh, that final out, I sort of had to pause for a second when that 27th out happened. It was like, did they sweep? Did that happen? Teams are allowed to do that? Okay. The most important part, Al, that you said, the Giants are a good team. They're over 500. They're competing for a wild card spot in all likelihood. So this just wasn't some random team in that speed. This could have ramifications in late September. Absolutely. This is not sweeping, say, the team that the Nats are about to face, the National League versus Colorado Rockies. Again, the Giants are a good team. Did not look like a good team over the weekend, but the Nats certainly had something to do with that. You know, it is funny with the Nats. They are a Jekyll and Hyde team in a lot of ways. I mean, we have seen stretches from this team this season that have just been abysmal, right? I mean, stretches during which the Nats have not played well, the Nats have gotten dominated, the Nats have looked every bit of what they are, still technically, from a standing standpoint, the second worst team in the National League. But we have seen positives. We have seen good series. We have seen some good stretches. And we are seeing enough to make you feel like the future will be bright. You know, it's not always easy to see. And at times, for sure, this team can drive you nuts and you can get discouraged. But, you know, you get something like what we had over the weekend, this sweep of the Giants, and you can see the sunlight at the end of the tunnel with this rebuild. You know, you can see things are on the up. Things are getting better. You know, improvement for rebuilding teams is almost never linear. Like it's kind of up and down, up and down, and just hope that the general trend is in an upward direction. And I do think that is the case with the Nats. Again, don't always feel like it, but a series like this is definitely encouraging and definitely does make you feel good about what is happening here. You know, you think about how the Nats did what they did in this series. I mean, I do think that it starts with the pitching, really good starting pitching, really good relief pitching. How about that? But you mentioned him, Lane Thomas. Lane Thomas in this 6-1 win on Sunday afternoon had what I think is one of the best singular games any Nats player has had this season. And really, it's one of the best singular games we've seen a Nats player have since we started doing this podcast three years ago. In terms of an overall game, I mean, name me a better overall game by a Nats player since the rebuild started than this game by Lane Thomas on Sunday afternoon. He is the Nats starting right fielder and number two batter, went three for four with an RBI double and two singles. He went four for four on stolen bases, and he made two impressive defensive plays. So he shined as a batter, he shined as a base runner, and he shined as a fielder. Thomas, in an ads two-run first, had a one-out single off Giants third baseman J.D. Davis and into left field, and then Thomas had to steal a second base. Thomas, in an ads one-run third, a first-pitch leadoff opposite field single to shallow right center field and steals of second and third base. Thomas, in an ads two-run fourth, a two-out RBI double off the left field warning track for a 5-0 Nats lead, and he had to steal a third base. Thomas made a really nice catch for the third out in the top of the fourth. He, with runners on second and third, and the Nats holding a 3-0 lead, made a sliding forward catch of a two-out opposite field liner by Casey Schmidt. And Thomas, in the top of the eighth, a put-out and an outfield assist on a 9-3 double play. He made a leaping backhanded catch on the warning track 
of a one-out fly ball by Patrick Bailey and then fired the ball to first base to retire a retreating Wilmer Flores. Lane Thomas was all over the place in this game. What a job by Thomas. You said, Al, is this the best game that any individual players had since the rebuild? Offhand here, this is the best game that any position players had for the Nats since Trey Turner hit for the cycle at the end of June against Tampa in 2021. That's the game where he hurt his finger sliding into third, and the franchise has never been the same since because then that was the Dodgers' four-game sweep and uh, that month of July that was the month from hell for the Nationals. I'm now racking my brain to think, listeners, please email us at natschatpodcast at gmail.com if you have better ones. But just in terms of overall better individual game by a position player, I'm thinking about Anthony Rendon, six for six with three homers against the Mets in early 2017. I struggle. I'm sure there's others out there, but this was just such an impressive game because, as you said, three hits, the multiple plays in the field, and then four stolen bases, which is very, very rare, of course. I mean, certainly there are guys who have had better offensive games, right? Like three for four with an RBI double and two singles. That's good. But I mean, plenty of guys have had better days than that. But it's the game in its entirety, right? Again, hitting, base running, defense. Like all three things that a position player does, this guy excelled in on Sunday afternoon. So, you know, it's another reminder of the season that Lane Thomas is having. He's number one among all qualified Nats players in OPS for this season at 835. I mean, you do have to wonder, a week from Tuesday is the MLB trade deadline. Are we in the dying days of Lane Thomas as a Nat, or are the Nats going to be holding on to him? I mean, you know, as we've talked about, I think Lane Thomas should be viewed more as a piece for the future as opposed to someone who should just be traded to the highest bidder this year. I'm not necessarily like totally against trading Lane Thomas, but I would not look at him the same way that you look at, you know, a Jamer Candelario or someone like that, someone who is like an obvious trade ship. You know, I know some people will say, well, Lane Thomas is playing above his head. This isn't who he really is. Uh, Yes and no. You know, maybe he's not the 835 OPS guy that his OPS for this season suggests. But, you know, this is season number three for Lane Thomas as a Nationals player. And if you look at the overall body of work for Lane since coming to the Nats, He has been a well above average league batter. Like the guy can hit. I don't look at what he's doing this season as some like fluke. You know, this isn't some like cute little run that Lane Thomas is on that he's never going to be able to duplicate again. Like, no, he hit really well over the final two months of the 2021 season. He ended up being an above average batter for the 2022 season. And he's having this very good, I think, all-star caliber 2023 season And so, you know, you look at him, you say, all right, he's under team control for multiple seasons to come. Yes, the Nats minor league system is loaded with outfielders, but, you know, there are no guarantees with any of these guys. I would not be in such a hurry to get rid of Lane Thomas, you know? Like, again, you listen to offers. I'm not saying that you absolutely don't trade him, but man, I would have a hard time just saying, yeah, just get rid of him and get something back for him. Like, no, I think for the Nats, it would make sense to keep Lane Thomas, assuming that you don't get overwhelmed with an offer. I had a feeling we would talk about the trade factor on today's episode for Lane Thomas. Uh, I'm with you, Al. I would not sell him to just the highest bidder over the next week. Now, if there's the right bidder, that's a different conversation. And what is the right bidder for that? What can you get for a player like Lane Thomas in the modern-day trade market? Can you sneak a pitcher in? Probably not. You would have probably 10, 15 years ago. Given the fact that I don't think Mike Rizzo will get the proper return for Lane Thomas, I say keep him, and as you said, use him as a piece, and also you can 
use them as a trade ship again for future time down the road, if appropriate or applicable. Don't feel like you just have to get rid of him. Like, for instance, Jim Candelario, the highest bidder, period. Whatever the best deal you get for him next week, that's that, and I would move on. But Lane Thomas is in a different category. We always mention, you know, sample size here on this podcast. We've had plenty of sample size here with Lane Thomas, and he is continually a good, if not at times, very good player. The one thing I do wonder about with Lane Thomas regarding the trade deadline is this. So we last year saw Mike Rizzo not just trade away Juan Soto, but trade away Juan Soto and Josh Bell in the same deal. And the idea was if you put those two guys together, you can maximize the return. Jamer Candelario on his own is not going to get you, say, a top 100 prospect. But what if you tag team Candelario and Lane Thomas? Might that get you? a top 100 prospect? The answer may still be no. But I wonder if Mike Rizzo, who seems to have a thing for, you know, trying to get quality above quantity. We just saw this in the 2023 draft with the way that the Nats signed these picks, really emphasizing putting big money into the top three picks and, you know, not so much in the other picks. I wonder if Mike would say, you know, I want to get a really good prospect. What if I packaged Candelario and Thomas? Might that be able to to turn that trick. Again, the answer may be no. It is something to think about. But yeah, I mean, just you know, in a vacuum, if you're saying trade Lane Thomas, I would not be in such a hurry to do that. You always listen, but uh, man, he has been really impressive offensively this season. You know, all along here, we've kind of assumed that Dominic Smith is not a trade ship just because of the season that he's having. And there's no doubt. I mean, he has not hit for much power at all this season. His slugging percentage for this season is a mere 355. But Dominic Smith is on a nice run. He, on Sunday afternoon, went two for four with a two-run single and another single. Smith, as an at starting first baseman and number six batter in an at two-run first, had a two-out, two-run single to right field for a 2 nothing Nats lead. He, in that 10-1 win on Saturday night, went two for four with two RBI singles. His batting average for the season is up to 272. His on-base percentage for the season is up to 338. His OPS for this month of July is at 834. One of the interesting things about trade deadline deals is that it's not always about the season a guy is having. It's about where the guy is at in the moment. So maybe a guy's overall body of work for the season isn't good. But if a guy is going well, if a guy is trending upward, then you maybe can get something for him. Do you think that Dominic Smith maybe possibly is playing his way into being able to be parlayed for something come the trade deadline? Or do you still think that the Nats won't have any takers for him? I think that he is someone that you can get something for him. Now, it might be a single-A prospect, nothing to write home about, but Dom Smith is valuable to a contender just if you need a late-inning first baseman defensive replacement. If you're everyday first baseman, if you're a contender and you don't love the defense that your everyday first baseman has, Dom Smith is someone that you can put in in the seventh, eighth, or ninth inning. If you need a Dave Stapleton type because you don't like the Bill Buckner that you have at first base, Dom Smith is a good option for that. But I would say I just don't see there being much of a market for that. But um, if Mike Rizzo could get something for Dom Smith, I would give two thumbs up. It's the John Lester principle. You never know. You just never know with a trade deadline. So I do wonder if Dominic Smith maybe is batting his way into being a trade chip. We shall see. Well, certainly Lane Thomas and Dominic Smith led the way offensively for the Nats in this game on Sunday afternoon. The Nats for the game, six runs, 11 hits, two walks, four for 10 with runners in scoring position. Two other Nats had multi-hit games 
in this game on Sunday afternoon. So Luis Garcia, who has been struggling, good to see him have a multi-hit game for a second consecutive game. Garcia on Sunday afternoon as an at starting second baseman, a number eight batter, two for four with two singles. And Riley Adams, another instance of this guy in a rare playing opportunity producing. Riley Adams on Sunday afternoon was an at starting catcher and number seven batter. And Adams in this game, two for four with a solo homer and a single. Adams in an at's one run fifth, a two out solo home run to left field on an 0-2 pitch for a 6 nothing Nats lead. And Adams in the Nats two-run fourth, a leadoff single up the middle on a 1-2 pitch. The season that Riley Adams is having, I think, deserves a lot of praise. He barely plays. I mean, like, you can't emphasize that enough. He's playing, you know, once, maybe twice a week. He still hasn't reached 100 plate appearances on the season. He's totaled a mere 91 plate appearances on the season. And yet Riley Adams for this season has an 886 OPS. He's slugging 542 on the year. He has four homers, five doubles, and two triples. If you could believe that. You know, you look at the production that the Nats got from the catching position in this series. K-Bert Ruiz, very good in games one and two, and Riley Adams delivering in game three. All right, let's resurface a familiar conversation here on Nats Chat. Let's say that the Nats do trade Dom Smith. Does this open the door for Riley Adams to get another shot at first base? I know that that experiment didn't really go many places, but he's got to get more at bats. As you said, he doesn't have 100 plate appearances, but his OPS on the year is 886. I mean, this month he's slugging over 500. He clearly shows that when he gets at bats, he can hit, but yet he's kind of buried on the depth chart because of the franchise catcher that is ahead of him in Kbert Ruiz. So I'm going to sort of combine the last two points together and say, I'm all for finding more ways to get Riley Adams in the lineup. Oh, by the way, maybe at DH, I know Joey Manessis and playing the field gets complicated, but if you put Manessis at first, because Smith is gone, maybe Adams goes in the DH spot. There are a few options there. Yeah, I brought that up with Mark a few weeks ago of whatever happened to Riley Adams playing more at first base. And, you know, this came up when Joey Manessis was really struggling. I don't really understand why the Riley Adams at first base thing has been sort of abandoned. Like, I don't think it's accurate to say that Riley Adams at first base hasn't worked. It hasn't been tried. You know, there really hasn't been much of an attempt to give that a shot. And yeah, I mean, the guy is hitting to get him some more at-bats, I don't think would be so bad. I mean, hey, if the Nats do end up trading Dom Smith, you know, that presumably would make Joey Manessis your every game first baseman, and then that would open up some DH opportunities for Riley Adams, or vice versa. You know, Manessis stays as a regular DH, and Adams plays some more first base. Look, I know that playing first base, you can't just put anyone there. Like, defense at first base does matter, and, you know, you do have to demonstrate a skill and an aptitude for the position, and you can't just, like, fall out of bed and be a good first baseman, okay? But, you know, it is doable. Like, a lot of guys make the transition to first base and do just fine, and if Adams is a good batter, you know, remember, he's a younger player, okay? He, like Lane Thomas, remember, hit quite well down the stretch of the 2021 season. Now, Adams had a really rough 2022 season, but he's bouncing back in his limited opportunities this season. And uh, I give the guy a lot of credit. So really good stuff from the Nats offensively in this series. A lot of contributions from a lot of different guys, of course, leading the way was the great performance by Lane Thomas on Sunday afternoon. <laughs> Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, unlike Mackenzie Gore and Kate Ruiz, you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Nats Chat sponsor Mason Kalfis and his team 
specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. Mason Kalfas has recruiters in six states and has placed lawyers in more than half of the 100 largest law firms in the United States. While you may be reading doom and gloom from the legal press, many practices are red-hot antitrust, IP litigation, white-collar litigation, finance and direct lending, and healthcare. Because you are not under a CBA or team control for six years, in fact, staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today with Mason Kalfas. Call Mason today at 202-486-3535. That number again, 202-486-3535. Hey, Nats chat. Need last-minute tickets to this Nats homestand? Check out the Game Time app. Friday night was date night at the ballpark for the wife and I, and it came through perfectly for last-minute tickets. Avoid the lines at the ticket window with the Game Time app. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. It's the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you would know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Hey guys, I want to tell you about Factor. We on the Nats Chat Podcast talk all the time about who is and will be a factor for the Nats. Well, the factor that I want to tell you about is as good as any top notch prospect. Factor is America's number one ready to eat meal kit and it can help you fuel up fast with flavorful and nutritious ready to eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track reaching your goals. With Factor, you skip the extra trip to the grocery store and the chopping and the prepping and the cleaning up too, while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality that you need. Factor is fresh, never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes, so all that you have to do is heat up and enjoy. Treat yourself to 34-plus weekly restaurant-quality options like bruschetta shrimp risotto, green goddess chicken, and grilled steakhouse filet mignon. Again, ready in just two minutes. Go to factormeals.com slash natschat50 and use the promo code natschat50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash NatsChat50 and use that code NatsChat50 to get 50% off. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Summer is here. The heat, the humidity, forcing your air conditioning unit into overdrive, leading to energy bills that are higher than James Wood's potential. <laughs> the solution, new windows from my friends at Window Nation, which is offering a great deal. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two years, plus two free windows for every two windows that you buy. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Protect your home and increase the value of your home with great new windows from Window Nation, which does windows right. You know, the average installer from Window Nation has over 16 years of experience with over 20 thousand windows installed. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two years, plus 
two free windows for every two windows that you buy. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Runners lead second and third. The 1-1 to Schmidt. Swing a line drive right center field. Racing it is Thomas. He's closing. He's got it. He goes into a slide and hangs on. What an escape by Mackenzie Gore. He strikes out Yastrzemski. He strikes out VR. And Schmidt lines out to right with a sliding catch. Feet first by Lane Thomas. Also leading the way for the Nats in this three-game sweep of the Giants was excellent pitching. The Nats in this series, I mean, very good starting pitching in all three games and very good bullpen work. It's crazy how baseball can work. This Nats bullpen was a mess. The bullpen ended up being just fine in this series, and the starting pitching really ended up being better than fine. You go back to game one, the 5-3 win on Friday night, Jake Irvin in that game, Three runs in six and two-thirds innings with nine strikeouts versus one walk. You look at game two of the series, the 10-1 win on Saturday night. Josiah Gray, one run in seven innings. And then in this 6-1 win on Sunday afternoon, Mackenzie Gore, five shutout innings with eight strikeouts. Gave up just four hits, a double, and three singles. He issued two walks. Did throw a lot of pitches, which helps to explain why he only lasted for the five innings, uh, 90 pitches over five innings. So, you know, that would be, I guess, the biggest complaint. He only lasted for five innings. Okay, but five scoreless innings, eight strikeouts. I mean, this to me was Gore's best outing in nearly a month. You got to go back to the 8-3 win at the San Diego Padres on June 25th for the last time Mackenzie Gore pitched as well as he did on Sunday afternoon. Gore in that win at the Padres, one run in five innings, nine strikeouts. As you may recall, he had a big strikeout of uh, Juan Soto in that game. It had been a weird last few weeks for Gore. He had not pitched much. He had had some bizarro outings, you know, a rain-shortened outing. His previous outing was a game in which his final line wasn't very good, although the overall performance in the outing I thought was better than that final line indicated. This was, I thought, the Mackenzie Gore who we saw earlier this season. Good run prevention, a lot of strikeouts, and a nice job. Yeah, really liked what I saw today from Gore. Uh, As you said, one of the best outings he's had in a while. Eight strikeouts in five innings, nothing to seize at there. But I, I got a question for you, Al. You said high pitch count, which I get, 90 pitches through five innings, but why not come back out for the sixth? Why do you think he was pulled there? Yeah, I think you could have done it. I don't think it's crazy to say that you do that. But, you know, first of all, we don't know what the Nats necessarily were seeing. I think one of the things, especially with the younger pitchers, that we never get told of, but I always wonder about is, you know, these teams have all of this information and data. And presumably, I mean, I sure hope the Nats are doing this. You're monitoring not just a guy's velocity, but things like his spin rate, things like his release point. And so when those things start to get off, you say to yourself, okay, it's probably time to get this guy out of the game. Now, I don't know if those things were off for Gore as this game was going on, but you know, there's always information that the dugout has that we don't have and that we never get told about. So I always do wonder about something like that. I mean, we do know with Mackenzie Gore that, you know, there is a monitoring of his workload for this season. And so, you know, maybe Davey said to himself, all right, 90 pitches, five innings, that's enough. I think there's also something to be said for this. Get the guy out on a high note. We know that David Martinez is mindful of that, especially with a young guy in Gore whose ERA has ticked up lately. I wonder if Davey said to himself, hey, you know what? That looks good. Five innings, no runs allowed. He's eligible for the win. Eight strikeouts. 
That's a nice final line. Let me get my guy McKenzie out of there and have him feeling good, at least until his next start. So I wouldn't be shocked if that entered into the thinking. You're probably right. I just sort of in the moment was really surprised because there are still four innings to go. Six nothing is a nice lead, of course, but you know, with this bullpen, anything could happen in four innings. So I thought when he pulled Gore, I was like, okay, here we go. 12 outs. Let's see. Now the bullpen only gave up one run the rest of the way and did a, a sterling job. I know Davey sidestepped the question in pregame and gave his usual 1-0 answer, but I got to imagine he wanted to get that sweep today and, and get the monkey off the back in the two-plus-year drought for a three-game series. So that's where it surprised me, but obviously it's all for naught. Bullpen came through, and it ended up being uh, a nice five-run win for the Nats. We're going to get to a point at which the Grays and the Gores and the Irvins need to eat up more innings, but we're not at that point yet in those guys' development. We're closer to that point with Gray than we are with Gore and Irvin. But, you know, it does take a while to get there. And, you know, the new reality with these pitchers is once a guy is at five innings, the watch is on for the guy to get out. Like, that's just the way that it is. It used to be shameful to be what's called a five and dive guy. And nowadays, I think most starting pitchers are five and dive guys. Like, that's just the way that it is. The bar has been really lowered in terms of just how many innings starting pitchers eat up. And, you know, there's a larger conversation about why that is and whether that's good for baseball. But whether you like that or not, like, as the saying goes, <laughs> it is what it is, you know, and that's how it is now with these starting pitchers. And, and that is why it matters a lot that you as an organization are able to assemble good bullpens because you've got to lean on your bullpen season in and season out. Now, the days of your starting pitchers routinely going seven, eight innings, those days are done. You know, you can maybe have a guy or two, if you're really lucky, who can give you seven, eight innings with some kind of frequency. But by and large, like bullpens throw a lot of innings now and, you know, this is a thing with the Nats moving forward. I know that they want to, you know, build with starting pitching. And that's a big thing with Mike Rizzo. And that's great. And if you can do that, more power to you. But, you know, good luck doing that in this day and age. Like, you can have good starting pitching. But what is good starting pitching in 2023 is different than what was good starting pitching in 1973. There's a big difference in terms of the workloads for these starting pitchers. But, yeah, the Nats bullpen. I mean, this was something in this series. So on Sunday afternoon... Four Nats relievers combined to allow one run in four innings. Uh, Jordan Weems, a scoreless top of the sixth. Amos Willingham, top of the seventh, gave up a run on a pinch leadoff opposite field home run by Jock Peterson to left field to cut the Nats lead to 6-1. But uh, Mason Thompson, a scoreless top of the eighth. And Joe LaSorsa, a scoreless top of the ninth. Nats relievers in this series combined to allow one run in eight and a third innings. And here were the relievers who were used in this series. Game one, Jordan Weems, Jose A. Ferrer, and Kyle Finnegan. Game two, Rico Garcia and Joe LaSorsa. And game three, Jordan Weems, Amos Willingham, Mason Thompson, and Joe LaSorsa. If you're not paying attention to the Nats on a day-in, day-out basis, you hear those names, you're probably like, who, what, you know, who the heck is Rico Garcia? Who the heck is Joe LaSorsa? Who the heck is, uh, you know, Amos Willingham, Jose A. Ferrer. But this is what the Nats bullpen is right now. And I do think it's encouraging, you know, albeit mildly, small sample size, etc. Finnegan only pitched in one of these three games. And yet the Nats still had a good weekend in terms of the bullpen. To me, all the stats you just said of the bullpen, that's the most important part. They got one inning out of Finnegan. That was it. 
and yet it was basically smooth sailing the rest of the way other than the one solo home run that Amos Willingham gave up to Jock Peterson, who it seems like that's what Jock Peterson does. He hits towering solo home runs. I don't want to get too excited about this. I mean, you take the wins when they come, but we all know that this could flip on a dime very quickly with the bullpen. Just a few days ago in Wrigley Field, things were way, way, way different for this pen. But uh, the one thing I really like is that Joe Lasorsa had two good outings two days in a row. I know his ERA is very, very, very high right now, and it's just, he's barely been with the team. But they're going to need a lot of help here in August to get through it, especially if Finnegan gets dealt, which I don't know if he will. So that is a guy I'm keeping my eye on, and I'm hoping can really move his way into the back end of that A bullpen, along with Jordan Weems. Jordan Weems, two solid outings this weekend. Jordan Weems has really stepped up his game since coming up from Rochester a few months ago. Yeah, I think there's upside with Weems. I mean, I don't know if he can be trusted. I don't know if he's going to demonstrate the consistency by which you are a quality reliever, but the guy can strike people out, and there is upside there. So hopefully the Nats are uh, able to cultivate that. Yeah, we don't know. I mean, the Nats next up have this three-game series against the worst team in the National League, the Rockies. And I mean, you know, that series could be another really good series for the Nats. That series could be a series in which, you know, you get some like 11-10 softball type scores. I mean, who knows? You know, the the Rockies are awful this year. Uh, So we'll see. And the bullpen, I think, is going to be up and down the rest of the way and maybe even, you know, not up and down, maybe even more down than up. But it was good to see what the bullpen did in this series. And it does show you that, hey, even without Hunter Harvey and Carl Edwards Jr. and Thaddeus Ward and still waiting on Tanner Rainey, this bullpen is capable of having a good series and just had a good series against, again, a contending team and the Giants. So next up for the Nats, this three-game set against the Rockies at Nationals Park. Game one, Monday night, 7.05, Patrick Corbin will be the Nats' starting pitcher. Game two, Tuesday night, 7.05, Trevor Williams will be the Nats' starting pitcher. And game three, Wednesday afternoon, 12.05, Jake Irvin will be the Nats' starting pitcher. You know, that's another thing about this series, the good starting pitching. The Nats' three starters in this series were the three young guys in the rotation, right? Jake Irvin, Josiah Gray, Mackenzie Gore. That's what you like to see. Yet you got good starting pitching in this series from your three young guys in the rotation. Three guys who are, you know, potential pieces here moving forward. Uh, I thought that was nice. So you look at the Nats now, the record on the season is 41 and 58. The winning percentage is 414. That translates to a 67 win season. The Nats last season won a major league worst 55 games. The Nats this season are tracking toward winning 67 games and yes, avoiding a hundred loss season. 67 wins would mean 95 losses. To what extent do you think the Nats final record matters this season? I would really love to avoid a hundred losses, even if it means winning 63 games versus 62. I just think that long winner, those aesthetics would matter for whatever that's worth. My goal preseason, Al, for this team was to flirt with 70 wins. I thought that would be you know, a real improvement because, man, you forget until you just said it right there, 55 wins last year. That is so many losses. If they could flirt with 70, which they're right on pace right now, they're at 67 and they just had a hot weekend, so who knows the rest of the way. That, to me, would be success as this farm system is getting more and more bolstered as we head towards 2024. Yeah, I think most people know this by now in case you don't with the new CBA the Nats, as a big market team, cannot pick any higher than 10th in the 2024 draft. So if you're worried about, well, the Nats are better off losing more than winning because that'll help where they pick in the upcoming draft. Well, you know, it's all relative. You can't pick higher than 10th. 
next year. Yeah, I mean, last season, the 55 and 107 record, you had the run differential, which was the worst in the majors too, at minus 252. I always like to look at that. And you look at the Nats run differential for this season, and it's at minus 89. That's not good, but that's a lot better than minus 252. That is improvement. Now, you still have two plus months to go in the regular season. But, you know, if you could finish with a win total in, say, the upper 60s and a run differential that, you know, is around like, I don't know, minus 100 or minus 110 or something like that, you know, just off the top of my head, that is drastic improvement. Okay. Like, again, it's not good. It's certainly not the destination. But from where you were last year, uh, if you could finish with 67 wins, a run differential, you know, that's uh, minus triple digits, but not by that much, that would be improvement. So that would be good. And, you know, you think about it, you improve by 12 wins this year from 55 to 67. If you could do the same thing next year, that would get you to right around 500, you know, with a 79-80 win season. So, you know, baby steps is how we're proceeding here. But yeah, the Nats are a better team this season. You see that in something like this sweep of the Giants, and uh, we'll see what happens here moving forward with this series coming up against the Rockies. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the show, we'd love to have you on board. Hit up Tim, see what we can do for you, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. We have a website that we invite you to check out, NatsChatPodcast.com. Com. You can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to that site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the music of the Nats Chat Podcast. Visit timnewmark.com. So for Tim Shovers, I'm Al Galdi. Mark Zuckerman will be back for the next installment of the podcast. We thank you for listening, and we're going to leave you with some more now from LSU head coach Jay Johnson on Dylan Cruz, talking about whether Dylan Cruz, who was a center fielder for LSU, profiles to be a center fielder in the majors. Enjoy. Yeah, he's a legitimate center fielder. I mean, if you go back and you look in Omaha, and that's a very big ballpark, and some of the plays that he made in the College World Series – uh, he made them look look easy, and uh, you know when I, I he was the right fielder as a freshman. Uh, when I came over, I was like, "You're going straight to center field," because I believed he could do it because the game instincts and the baseballness and the speed. And then now it's like you're not going to find me a, a better center fielder in college baseball. I think he won the Gold Glove in in center field this year, and there's only one per position and out of 300 teams, and so I'm very confident in that.